Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Let's pray. Father, once again this morning, we're going to open your word and learn from it. Your word is profitable for so many things in our lives. Might we find it fruitful and profitable for us to learn from this morning. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be looking at two texts this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, and then we'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, last Sunday morning, we looked at one of the numerous judgments that are mentioned for us in the New Testament, and that was the great white throne judgment, where all unbelievers from all time will face the Lord Jesus Christ as the judge only to be cast into the lake of fire. And remember, that judgment will be based on works. On works, according to Revelation. I'll not review that this morning. But there is yet another judgment that you and I will face as believers. A judgment only for believers. Our judge will also be the Lord Jesus, and it too will be based on works. And Scripture calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Now that term, that phrase, is is only used, I think, twice in the New Testament. Uh, Here in 2 Corinthians 5 and also in uh, Romans chapter 14. In the Romans text, Paul refers to it as the judgment seat of God. Judgment seat of God or Christ, still referring to the same thing. Now, 1 Corinthians, that we'll look at in a couple of moments, gives us some, some further insight, I believe, or some further application, as it were, of the judgment seat of Christ. But each time Paul refers to the judgment seat, he is referring not to unbelievers, but to us, you know, his church to believers only. It is not a judgment for sin. We need to remember that. It is not a judgment for sin. Our sins have been washed away. The blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer under condemnation. We're out from under that condemnation according to Romans 5 and verse 1. We are already citizens of heaven. Our names are already written in the Lamb's book of life, as we saw last Sunday morning from the book of Revelation. And nothing can change that. Absolutely nothing can change that. But this is a judgment for Christians, and it's a judgment of our works and our lives ever since we became Christians, ever since we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
More aptly put, it's an evaluation. Perhaps that's a better way to look at it. It's an evaluation of our lives and our works since we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. The purpose of it is that we might receive rewards for how we have lived and the works that we have done as Christians. So this is not about where we're going to spend eternity, but how we will spend eternity. And I guess in one sense, it's our, it's our final exam as we enter into glory. Now, each reference by Paul is in a different context. And whenever you study the scriptures, context is always important. You have one verse or a few verses. What's the larger picture, the larger chapter or the larger book that we find it in? Now, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, the context here is Paul looking ahead, looking forward to glory, to heaven. Began to do that in the latter part of chapter 4 and on into this chapter, chapter 5. He's looking forward to the next life as being the best life. He's looking forward to the next body we will have, the resurrected body as being the best and perfect body. Our next life will be the perfect life because it's with the Lord. But it's also in the next life where we will receive the rewards based on how we have lived this life. The Christian life. And so Paul is sort of giving us an eternal perspective on this life, but with eternity in mind, sort of an eternal perspective. Now, what is the judgment seat? What is it exactly? Again, it's not a place of condemnation. No, it's a place of reward. It's the bima. It's the Bema seat. Now, the people in the city of Corinth knew what Paul was referring to as the Bema seat. Uh, it was part of the Olympic Stadium outside the city of Corinth, where an athlete would ascend the stairs to the, the platform on the top to receive his reward, the victor's reward, the victor's crown for performing well in the Olympics. And that reward was usually a, a laurel wreath or some, of some kind, or an oak cluster of some kind. Now, I can't help but think of Tom Brady. He's won how many Super Bowls? And every victory, he's been able to walk up those few stairs to the platform and for those few brief moments be able to hold the Super Bowl trophy. And you've seen it. He would grab a hold of it and hold it high for all to see. And this year even he had another award or reward as the most valuable player. Well, I'm told that or I read that no one trains like Tom Brady trains for a whole season. He makes it through successfully and now here's his reward. 
for his excellent training, for his excellent works. But it was also used in connection with a raised stage in a military camp where medals and rewards would be given to soldiers for bravery. And so clearly, it's not a place of condemnation, but commendation. It's a place of great reward, of great joy to those who will be there. Now, you notice in the text, he says, we must all appear. This is not for some. This is not for a select few or a select group of Christians. No, this is for all. He's writing this, this epistle to Christians. And so it's for all of us. We must. We're called to this. This is not, this is not optional. This is a mandatory judgment that you and I as believers, we will all face this judgment, this evaluation of our lives and works. And it's an individual judgment. We don't face it as a church or a group, but it's one by one, person after person after person, just as the great white throne was. So every believer among us will be at the Bema seat to receive a reward of some kind. Some of us will receive more than others. And it's not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for Christian workers or church leaders, but all Christians. No matter what we do with our lives, no matter what job we have, it's for everyone, every believer, the known and the unknown, the well-known and the not so well-known. And some of our work, notice in that same verse, we might receive what is due uh, for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Interesting term. Whether good or evil. Some of our works in this evaluation or judgment will be considered good. Good. In other words, worthy of something. Worthy of reward. But on the other hand, some will be considered evil. Now, we automatically, automatically think of something that is wicked, but a better word there, uh, instead of evil, would be worthless. Worthless works. Uh, works that have no value in eternity. Or works that have little value in eternity. And of course, God knows what's worthy of reward even more so than, than we do. He's omniscient. He knows the heart. He knows the motive. Why we did what we did in the Christian life. Sometimes we can't even know our own motives. Whether or not our motives are, are pure. But in any case, this is where our lives will be evaluated. And again, it's a, a time and a place of reward. Even the quality of our works will be evaluated. Not so much the quantity, not so much all that we did, but the quality of our works, just as important. Now when does this take place? And where? 
does this judgment seat of Christ take place? Well, Scripture seems to indicate that it's in heaven. It's in heaven, but after the rapture, when Christ comes to call his church out of this world, after the rapture, but before the tribulation on the earth, and before Christ returns to the earth. The evaluation of our lives and works. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, the Apostle John sees the bride. And we, folks, are the bride. It's his true church. We're the bride of Christ. He sees the bride making herself ready. It says in that chapter that she is clothed in fine linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. Now, in one sense, we are already clothed with the righteousness that is of Christ. We don't have a righteousness that is inherent within us, but we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, His goodness, His works. That's salvation. But this is a bit different. John sees the, the bride clothed in her righteous acts, her works, in other words, her good works that have been deemed worthy. So we'll be clothed one day in that fine linen, which are the works that we do. Now, let's look at the other text in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, there is no mention in this text of the judgment seat or the judgment seat of Christ. Um, that's true, but I want to use these few verses here as sort of an application or an illustration of how we live the Christian life and how worthy our lives and works might be. Now, Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth. They were a messed up bunch. Their church was, was a church that was divided that was one of their many, many problems. There were some people in the church who said, well, we follow Paul. Another group that said, no, we don't follow Paul. We follow Apollos. He's the man. And yet there were others who in their spiritual pride were saying, we follow Jesus. We're, you know, He's the best. Well, in any case, in many ways, they were a divided church. They were carnal they were a proud bunch of Christians. They were immature, to say the very least. And as you go through all the chapters of 1 Corinthians, every chapter is one where Paul is dealing with another issue, another problem, one after the other, having to resolve each of them. So each chapter poses a different problem. But Paul is going to use the, the imagery here of building a house, so to speak, building a house. Now, each of these co-leaders, these men of influence in the Corinthian church, were responsible for helping to build that house in different ways. Each had their own responsibilities, so they were all equal in that sense. But Paul, Paul was the master builder. Look at verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God,
given to me like a skilled master builder, I've laid a foundation. Now he's going to use the, the, the terminology of uh, a contractor, a builder. Paul was the master builder. Paul was the one who established the church at Corinth. He was the founder of the church. And Paul was the one who, who laid the foundation in the church, which was Jesus Christ and His salvation. Everything that's built after that is on the foundation. Um, the foundation is the most important thing in a building. Christ is the foundation of your life and my life as Christians. Christ is the foundation of our church. No matter what we do as a church, it's all built on Jesus, Amen. who Paul says is the foundation. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So it says the hymn. Now, on top of that foundation are various building materials, and he'll mention them here as we go on. All these building materials that we use on top of our foundation are our works, our service to God, our Christian lives, and how we live our Christian lives. But they're all built on the foundation, which is Christ. Now, of course, we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But we are created, Paul says in Ephesians, we're created unto good works. We're saved in order to do or perform good works. In Colossians 1, Paul says we are to bear fruit in every good work. So I think Scripture is fairly clear. We are to do good. We are to do good works, but all based on the foundation, which is Christ. Some of the works are good, according to Paul. Some are valuable, but again, some are, some are worthless. Some have no value. We might have done something, but when it comes to our evaluation from the judge, they count for little, or they count for nothing. Now, he's going to talk about the building materials, and he'll separate them into two small groups. Materials that are superior and materials that are inferior. Notice verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. Those are some of the good elements of building. These were high quality materials that were used in, in erecting a house or a, a building. These were materials that were able to stand any test, any test. They're built to last. When it comes to the evaluation, we have the possibility of building with good works, good materials. But then you'll notice he goes on, uh, precious stones or wood, hay, and straw. Some translations use the term wood, hay, or stubble. Uh, the, the, the hay or the stubble was used to build a roof. 
highly combustible materials. Materials that would not last in most storms. Uh, would not last through any fire. Remember the story? Three little pigs. It's been a long time since I've read that or told that to anybody or even my grandchildren. Uh, what did the first little pig build his house with? Hey. Hay. Straw. Hay. The wolf said, I'll, I'll do what? Yeah, you got it. You're good. A huff and puff and blow your house down. Well, that's exactly what he did. How about the second little pig? What did he build his house from? Sticks. 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 Again, not very sturdy, combustible, not built to last. And again, the wolf says, I'll blow your house down. And that's exactly what he did. What did the third little pig build it from? Bricks. Bricks. See? Built ram tough. Built to last. See, but the, the danger here is when I face my evaluation in heaven one day in front of my Savior, some of my works are worthless. They won't stand the test. They're unworthy of reward. And some of them, as he describes further on, they'll, they'll be burned away. They're worthless. I'll still be saved but I don't have much to show for my salvation. Uh, I will still enjoy heaven to the fullest, to the fullest, to the utmost, and so will you. But we'll be lacking something when we get to heaven, and that is our rewards. Now, so how are we building our lives? We're building on the foundation, but what kind of materials are we using to build our lives? Why do we serve? Why do we do good works? Why do we serve the Lord? Our motive, our motive. Is it to look good in front of others? Is it to look, oh, is it to look spiritual in front of others? Well, that's true of, of some. Remember, and I think I mentioned it last week when Jesus referred to the scribes, some of the religious leaders, they they wanted to pray long public prayers to be noticed of man. Their motive was not right. Their motive was, was pride, wanting the, the glory and all the attention given to themselves. Is it money? Now, believe it or not, there were some men, some people, who are in the ministry for the money. That is true of some, some Christians. But let me share some thoughts with you. And you can jot these down or try to remember them. What are some of the materials that are building, that we're building our lives with on top of the foundation, which is Christ? Some of the good quality building materials that will face an evaluation and be rewarded. Number one, am I quick to forgive? Am I quick to forgive others? Am I quick to not, not hold an offense against someone? Now when you say, I forgive you to someone, 
what you're saying is, I'll never bring it up again. I will never raise this sin or this offense or this issue again. Paul says in Ephesians to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Remember how much Christ has forgiven you and me of. How can we not forgive someone else? Someone said that this is the strongest indication, the strongest evidence of being a Christian, that we are quick to forgive someone and promise never to bring the issue up again. It's one of those superior building materials that last, that last and are worthy of a reward. Secondly, how do I treat other Christians? How do you treat other Christians? You show favoritism to one or one group of people over another. Some people are easier to get along with than others. But James makes it clear in his epistle, do not show favoritism. It's not right. It's, not, it's a poor quality building material. It won't stand the test of our evaluation. Number three, and these are in no particular order, am I using the gifts and the abilities that God has given to me or letting them go to waste? Are you using the gifts, the, the, the abilities that God has given to you or letting them go to waste? Each of us as believers has those gifts, those abilities. No one is left out, according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes of it elsewhere. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, use the gift that God has given you to serve one another. That's why God has given you that spiritual gift. Not for yourself, but for someone else. Someone else in the body of Christ. Number four, how do we spend our time? How do we spend our time? Do we let it go to waste? Uh, serving ourselves or indulging ourselves in some way? Moses said in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. Paul says in Ephesians, to redeem the time. Use the time that God has given to us wisely. Because there's coming a time when we're out of time, when we step into glory, step into eternity. Using time wisely, looking uh, to meet the needs of others and not only uh, to our own needs, according to the Apostle Paul. Number five, are we sharing our faith with unbelievers? Are we sharing our faith with unbelievers? Do we, do we create opportunities to share our faith? Do we create them or do we, do we seize opportunities when God gives them to us? Or are we just silent? You know, good works are important when it comes to relating to unbelievers. But it has to be more than that. We must speak the gospel. We need to share what the gospel is 
Doing good is not enough. It's the gospel that counts. It's the gospel that must be heard by unbelievers. It's, it's making Christ known in whatever ways you can, sharing the gospel, giving a person a booklet or a, a good salvation tract, or at the very least, inviting them to come here to church to hear the gospel. But are we sharing our faith? Next is, are we generous? Are we generous with our money? Am I giving generously to God? Remember, the only way we can give to God is to give to His work. To give to His work. Primarily, His church. How much am I giving? It becomes important. But even more importantly is, how much am I keeping, <clears throat> how much am I keeping for myself? Look at it that way. Am I storing up treasures in heaven? Or am I storing them up on the earth? Next, am I showing hospitality to strangers? Am I showing hospitality to strangers? The, the word hospitality more or less means the love of strangers or love for strangers. Who are the strangers? My neighbors? Unsaved neighbors? Uh, visitors who come through the doors of this church, or even others in the church that you don't know very well at all. They almost consider them as strangers. It's opening our homes to people. It's sharing what we are, what we have with people. Using our homes as a place of ministry. Now remember, before there was a church building, before there were pulpits like this, there were homes. There were kitchen tables where ministry took place. Are we showing hospitality to strangers? Next, how faithful are we in our vocation? How faithful are we in our vocation and what we do for a living? No matter what that is. If you're a homemaker, it's raising children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's a worthy and good building material. That's worthy of reward. If you're a caregiver, it's doing that as unto the Lord. Not to man, but unto the Lord. If you're a laborer, no matter what your task is in life, no matter what kind of employment you have, Paul says whether you eat or drink, now, those two things were the common activities in life. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even the, the routine, ordinary tasks in life, we are to do them for the honor of God. Can we do that? Do we do that? As I was putting this message together this past week, I thought of a, a song that I remember hearing many years ago when I was a new Christian. It's called, Have I Done My Best for Jesus? I wonder, I wonder if I've done my best for Jesus since he, since he has done so much for me. You see, that's, that's what it's about. Doing things that would honor Him. Next, 
Maintaining right relationships. Maintaining right relationships, especially at home. Husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved His church and gave Himself for it. Wives, submitting unto your husbands as unto the Lord, whether they're believers or not. Matters not. Next, am I serving? Am I serving God in my church? Am I serving in my church in some way? In the Old Testament book of Haggai, God rebukes His people Israel of giving too much attention to their own dwelling places, to their own homes. Uh, living in paneled houses is the reference He uses in the King James. Um, to the neglect of God's house. To the neglect of God's house. Uh, every, every Christian, let me put it this way, every Christian in this room, in this congregation this morning, should be serving the Lord in some way. In some way. Uh, you know, we're getting to expand or reopen ministries again now that we have the freedom to do that. Sunday school, uh, nurseries, an important area. So many ministries. God has, has saved each of us to serve. God has saved us to serve. We need, we need servants. Now, Scripture, Scripture speaks of losing our rewards. And the picture I get there is not that Jesus is going to give me a reward and then say, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm taking that one back. No, he doesn't do that. But I think the picture here is he's withholding rewards from us that normally we could have or should have received. What are the rewards? What are the rewards that we're going to receive one day or could receive? One would be praise. Remember, it's a place of, not of condemnation, but of reward. Remember the words of Jesus in the Gospels? And he says, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wouldn't it be wonderful if each of us would be able to hear that from our Savior? Hey, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. God will not forget our good works, what we do for Him. New Testament speaks of crowns. And I must admit, as and I, as I tried to study crowns over so many years, I must admit, I don't understand them. I can't figure them out. Uh, there are different crowns. Perhaps they're for different levels of authority and privileges and responsibilities that we'll have in eternity based on our works. There's a crown of righteousness for those who eagerly wait Christ's return. There's a crown of rejoicing those who try to point people to Jesus. There's a crown of life 
that's given to martyrs and a few other crowns. But I don't know how those crowns are manifested in heaven. I know they're there. I believe it. But there's so much I don't understand. In the parable of the talents in the New Testament, the master gives his servants different amounts of money to invest while he's away. And when he returns, he calls each servant into account. Two of them invested what he gave them. And to them he says, since you've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Some translations say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, there's so much else I could share. Again, I really don't understand much about the crowns, but I do see in Revelation chapter 4, it's heaven, and John sees, among other things, the elders, which I think uh, represent the church, represent us in heaven. And they're worshiping the Lord. What do they do? They take the crowns, and these are not kingly crowns. These are the reward, the victor's crowns, the Stephanos, the laurel wreaths that the Lord had given to them, and they're casting uh, those crowns at the feet of the one who sits on the throne, Christ himself. Even our rewards, I think, are going to seem insignificant when we appear before Christ in glory. Uh, even our faithfulness to the Lord here and now has been made possible by, by the Lord's faithfulness to us. And whatever we're able to accomplish for Him in this life is because He has enabled us by grace and His Spirit to serve Him. And so ultimately, in the end, He alone is the one who is worthy. And so, how shall I say it? Let's live for Christ and let's serve Him in ways that would be worthy of reward in ways that would please Him and not disappoint Him. God help us to do that. Pray with me, please. Father, there is a, a great glory that is yet to come. But Lord, help us in this life and by our works to, to build on our foundation with works that have meaning with works that have value, works that will last into eternity, works that are worthy of your blessing and reward. Help us, Lord, we pray by your grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.